Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today we're going to talk a little bit about breastfeeding, but we're going to talk a little bit beyond as well. I have with me today my guest, Dr. Linda May. Dr. May, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. For those of you who don't know, let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Linda May is a tenured associate professor at East Carolina University, where she teaches dental students. She is adjunct assistant professor of exercise physiology for health and human performance, as well as obstetrics and gynecology for the Brody School of Medicine. She conducts research related to the influence of maternal exercise during pregnancy on child development, before and after birth. Her research is presented worldwide, including through such outlets as New York Times and Good Morning America. Dr. May published her first book, Physiology of Prenatal Exercise and Fetal Development, in 2012. And she won the 2017 East Carolina University Health Science Author Award. Having taught for over 15 years now, She uh, primarily studies the influence of exercise during pregnancy on offspring outcomes, fetal, neonatal, and child. Dr. May is author or co-author of 45 published articles, and she has presented at 16 different conferences and holds editorial appointments for multiple professional journals. So, as you can imagine... Breastfeeding is something that happens in the postpartum period, but you also know that the postpartum period doesn't just leap out of the sky. The postpartum period comes after the prenatal period, and so uh, most of her work has been on I don't know if most is the right word, but certainly a great deal of her work has been done in the prenatal period. So I kind of want to go for this chronologically. But Dr. May, before we go too far, I realize that the definition of exercise is likely to be different in different studies. Uh, But on the whole, can you give us an idea of what we're talking about here? Are we talking about a leisurely walk around the block or are we talking about competing in a triathlon or somewhere in between? Right. So, excellent question about exercise. Um, really, somewhere in between. Uh, okay. So, basically, a lot of the recommending bodies, so American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, American College of Sports Medicine, as well as the American Heart Association and, and other organizations in other countries pretty much follow the same guidelines. They are recommending pregnant women to participate in 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. And so 150 minutes a week is what they're aiming for, uh, moderate intensity being an intensity that's going to increase your heart rate, increase your breathing, but yet you can still have a, a conversation. You shouldn't be too winded and not be able to talk, and that's that moderate zone. However, 
uh, we want to make sure we're encouraging women and they get the right message. And although we're aiming for that guideline, we really want everybody to know that every minute counts. So even okay. if they can't meet 150 minutes, as long as they do something, that's going to be better than doing nothing. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting because that's always my mantra about breastfeeding. Some is better Perfect. than none. Absolutely. I want to back up a little bit because, as you know, I am a little bit beyond childbearing age here, but I was under the impression that even for postmenopausal women such as myself, I thought that the 150 uh, minutes per week was for adults or at least adult women, but are you telling me the guideline is the same thing for pregnant women as well? Did I misunderstand? No, that is absolutely correct. So okay. one of the things we want to make sure everybody knows is, you know, pregnant women are just like the average adult person, right? They just have a bun in the oven, but they're an average normal woman. So they should be meeting the guidelines just like everybody else. And this is based on a wealth of information, a plethora of research and randomized controlled studies. So that's the strongest type of study that we can have in research that supports um, not only the benefit for the mom, but now supporting benefits for the baby if they reach those guidelines. So absolutely, it's um, for adults as well as for pregnant women. Okay, wow. I I heard that and I thought, is this really what she means? I guess that is what she means. And I want to underline that idea of 150 minutes is the ideal. And I know that the first time that somebody said that to me, I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, well, that ain't going to happen. But (laughs) what I found was several years ago, I started by doing three or four minutes a day. Now, if you do the math, that would be like 15 minutes a week. But uh, this year, one of my annual goals was to get up to 90 minutes a week. And pretty much, I pretty much do that and sometimes exceed that. But I guess the message I would just like to tell people, and I know that Dr. May will be in agreement, is that you can't necessarily, if you set a goal that's just like too too crazy out there, it just feels unattainable. Whereas if you set a goal that's a, a stretch, okay, it shouldn't be a walk in the park. But I got to tell you, those first three minutes that I spent on the, uh, I guess I might have been on the treadmill. I mean, I was winded. I felt like an old lady. But uh, the fact of the matter is we can all do a little and then we can do a little bit more. So that then I guess brings me to how I have always been fascinated with taking care of pregnant women. And that is, I've always been fascinated by the idea that I've got this little bitty human in there that I can't even see, and yet I'm expected Mm -hmm. to be able to make sure that that baby is okay, Uh, especially working labor and delivery. But anyway, this brings me to asking you about measuring. Uh, This is not like a study where we can see the subject or ask her questions and so forth. It's a little different when your subject is in utero. So how do you go about looking at what's going on with that baby or measuring whatever it is you're measuring? Excellent question. So, yes, you're exercising for two, but you can only see one of the exercisers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, one of the things that's really important for um, 
either pregnant women or individuals working with pregnant women is the first thing um, they should do before they start the exercise is they want to make sure that they talk to their obstetric provider. Okay, and so this is important because the obstetric provider, their OB provider, is going to give them clearance and say, yes, you are okay. You and baby are giving the all clear, the go ahead to go ahead and exercise in pregnancy, right? So that's really the first step. Then once they're on board, then... um, all of the research shows that it's not only going to benefit mom, it's going to benefit the placenta. The placenta is going to change and adapt, mm-hmm. which is going to ultimately benefit the baby. Okay. So sure. even though we can't measure what baby's doing for everybody's pregnancy, plenty of research has done measurements to show that baby is healthy and fine, they get adequate nutrition and oxygen, and they grow just fine and absolutely um, do well, and deliver, delivery goes well, and the babies are born um if not healthy, healthier. So it's, it's beneficial, even though we can't always take measurements. But again, they have to make sure they have that first conversation with their OB, and they should definitely continue to have follow-up measurements to make sure that everything's on track as well. Dr. May, do you get patients who say to you, look at, that is just too scary. I don't know about this. I don't know that I want my baby bouncing around inside of me like that. Do you get questions like that? Oh, absolutely. Usually, um, even if women have exercised before, but definitely if they haven't, then there's concern. They think that they're going to do something to harm baby. And so that's yeah. when we definitely yeah. come in and educate them that um, almost 700 randomized control studies have been done so far and demonstrated that, um, if anything, we're not increasing risk. We're decreasing risk of gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, preterm birth, preterm um, labor, uh, macrosomia, you know, large babies. So all of these things that they're concerned about, we're decreasing the risk of. And not only that, we're, but the babies, now that we're doing other measurements, you know, body composition and heart measurements, the babies are, are healthier. And so this is, is beneficial, but we really need to educate women and healthcare providers that um, we're, we're improving outcomes and making everybody healthier and, and it's safer. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when I was young and, and I, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't really looked at this, but I was always taught to tell the woman that if she had been exercising, she needed to continue doing pretty much what she was doing. And that if she hadn't started exercising, well, it would be a good idea to kind of start something. Is that recommendation still more or less correct, or would you up the ante? Right. So basically, the the research shows that, um, obviously, if they were already exercising during pregnancy, yes, they want to continue what they're doing and at least maintain their level of exercise. They don't want to decrease, right? They they don't want to detrain because that you know, may affect baby. They want to at least maintain that that level of activity for them and for babies, um, good outcomes. But if they never exercised before, yes, it's okay and safe for them to start. But just like you mentioned before, they want to make sure that they have attainable goals and that it's something that's comfortable to them. So start out slow. So, you know, start out with five minutes or 10 minutes. And if they feel comfortable, you know, three times a week, if they're comfortable, then maybe add five minutes each week to that until they get close to their goal or, and hopefully close to those recommended guidelines of 150 minutes. But it has to be attainable and, and every minute counts. 
Is something like uh, taking a good walk, does that count? I mean, I don't know that I necessarily get my heart rate up a whole lot. I don't know that I get my breathing up a whole lot. But I do enjoy, especially in the good weather, I'll take a two-hour, excuse me, a two-mile walk. (laughs) Uh, That's got to count for something, doesn't it, right? Sure, it, it depends, but yes, walking is definitely the most common activity that pregnant women are going to do. And yes. and honestly, it, you know, I tell people, I go, just invest in a good pair of shoes and you and baby are going to be healthier, right? So, yes, yes walking is great, but they need to keep in mind what moderate intensity means. So if yes. they're leisurely walking their chihuahua, then that <laughs> might not meet the recommended guidelines of moderate intensity. But if they're working hard, pumping their arms, and they're breathing harder, their heart rate's up, um, they can hold a conversation, but they feel like they're, you know, a little bit winded, then that's probably moderate intensity, and that's what we're aiming for. So they they don't want to do too leisurely of a walk, but yes, walking definitely can count. Yeah, because I'm thinking sometimes there are days I don't get to the gym or I'm too busy or I'm too this or I'm too that. It's like, well, you know what, I'll take a walk at at, at night. And uh, that, to me, that counts as better than nothing, which I'm sure you would totally agree with. Um, Absolutely. We have, we have much more to ask Dr. May on the other side of this break. Well, we've got to take a break. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I am here today with Dr. Linda May. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I am glad to be here with you today. If you're looking for more Marie, that would be at MarieBiancuso.com, M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. And I can guarantee you I've got plenty more information for you there. And I would also just like to alert you that if you're trying to earn your 90 hours for your lactation exam eligibility. I will be giving that course both live and online this spring and continuing, which is what I've been doing for many years. So uh, please visit my website if you're interested or feel free to call my office at 703-787-9894. So Dr. May, we just got through talking about the fact that there have been I was pretty impressed with your number here. You said more than 700 randomized control trials, which, of course, are the Cadillac of studies, that basically show that pregnant women can and should have the same amount of exercise in a week as a a non-pregnant woman. So talk to us a little bit about uh, what all of this means. It seems to me like your central question in your research efforts was to look at how maternal exercise affects fetal development. And it kind of sounds to me like you're going beyond the fetal time, that is the in utero time, but you're also going for that early human development, I would imagine in the first uh, several months, maybe the first couple of years. Can you give us a list of some well-established benefits uh, I think you talked a little bit about the pregnancy uh, I- issue, but what about for the baby after he's born? Absolutely, yes. So we're definitely interested in the fetal development to make sure that baby's healthy and no adverse outcomes. And, and all the research, my research included, but others as well, supports that the, the fetus is absolutely fine, gets enough oxygen, um, glucose, it's developing fine, growing fine. And so... Um, my question really came in with the idea of uh, we know that um, exercise is safe for the mom and baby. We know it's beneficial for mom. We know the placenta adapts. So are there potential benefits for the baby? And so we've wanted to follow the baby at least one month after birth. So uh, that one month is almost a detraining effect, if you will. So ah. are the changes that we see in the fetus, are they still persistent? And this might be a long-term change. Or do they completely go away one month after birth and you have that detraining kind of effect? And so when we start out with measurements, we like to start out with at least one month to allow for that detraining response if it's, it's going to be there. So 
Yes, uh-huh. what we do is we measure a lot of different measurements from babies one month and six months and 12 months and as they grow up. And we find that the uh, changes that we saw in utero are persistent. So that's wow. very exciting because, again, it suggests that after that detraining effect, these changes are still there. So these babies might have these long-term adaptations that are healthier. So that's very exciting from a public health perspective. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me, in just a simple way, that if the woman is getting more oxygen, if she's doing more exercise, she's getting more oxygen. If she's getting more oxygen, the placenta is getting more oxygen, the baby is getting more oxygen. So how does that relate to things like, for example, uh, the baby's weight up or down? Uh, You've talked a little bit about glucose utilization. I'm thinking of those babies who sometimes are very hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic for various reasons, uh, usually related to some sort of maternal pathology. But anyway, um, how does all that play out? Yeah, excellent. So a lot of the research is showing that um, because of these these changes, as you mentioned, something is is beneficial for mom, which is changing the placenta, which is now um, benefiting baby oxygen, or or we don't really know what it is, um, but weight is normalized. So um, obese moms usually give. O- birth to obese babies, but we find out that they're delivering healthier weight babies if they exercise during pregnancy. So that's excellent. Even if the mother is still obese, the baby has a lesser chance of being obese? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Okay. Very exciting. Very exciting. And it's showing that not only is their weight normalized, but their glucose is normalized. And and a lot of the weight changes are body fat has decreased. Um, So again, uh, most of these changes are going to be seen in the women who are overweight and obese, uh, which is exciting because normal weight moms might give weight to birth to normal weight children, babies, and that stays the same. But the overweight and obese moms are less likely to deliver um, overweight and obese babies if they exercise during pregnancy. So very exciting to see that it's normalizing their, their weight at birth and then one month later um, helping to control the baby's glucose later on. And again, that body composition. So their weight is fine, but their fat stores, their um adipose as we call it, but their their body fat is less, which is very exciting considering we have this childhood obesity pandemic that's not just in the yes. U.S. but other countries. So again, yeah. if the mom's exercise in pregnancy, we get these benefits from the very start um, in utero, but one month after baby's born and later, we're finding that the baby still has these benefits. So very exciting, again, from a public health perspective. Uh, I am interested in the idea of, and I'm sure that you and I could talk all week long, not all hour, but all day, (laughs) all week long about the idea of how it affects labor. But there's two big questions on my mind. One is, I understood from your book that you said that there is no association between increased maternal exercise, and we're talking about that moderately intensive exercise as related to preterm labor. In other words, having this level of exercise does not throw the woman into preterm labor. Is that true? Absolutely. Okay. And do you have women who have trouble believing that? 
I don't believe so. I, I think um, when you talk to them about the benefits, especially all of the randomized controlled trials that we've done, about, um, at least 675 at this point, if not more, so close to 700 at this point, that are showing that there's no adverse outcomes associated with exercise, I, I think that's hard to refute. And I, and I think they want to believe it because they know that exercise is so beneficial for everybody else. So I, I believe that um, women are, you know, once you talk to them about what we know so far and what's been done so far, I think they're um, okay with believing that um, because exercise has always been shown to be beneficial for just about every other population. So why not for pregnant women and babies? Okay. And that brings me to another question, which is, not very long ago, I wrote a blog post on the doctor who answered the patient's questions, the pregnant patient's questions, with his hand on the doorknob. And, of course, the woman who was talking to me, and I described this in the blog, was like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't really do much patient teaching, which, of course, is why she was coming to me. Uh, he answers my question with his, with his hand on the doorknob. How are you getting this message across? How are you getting the obstetricians to talk about it or the midwives or whoever it is? How are you getting that information out there to moms? Right. So I think you have to do multiple approaches to get the word out. So uh, some professional organizations are trying to get the word out, such as ACSM and the oh. um, Canadian, uh, sorry, American College of Sports Medicine is ACSM, and the Canadian version, which is the Canadian Society of Exercise Physiologists, they're getting the word oh. out, um, as well as many of us are talking to um, OB providers, obstetricians, gynecologists, we're talking to the nurse midwives, to the family practitioners, and we're doing educational sessions with them. We're also doing, trying to do educational sessions with medical students before they even get out to rotations to make sure that they've at least heard this message once. So hopefully later on they can go, yeah, you know what, I did hear that it was safe. Um, I guess we're still finding out more and, it, and it's okay for them to do that. But it's it's a lot on various levels and, and um a lot of people trying to get the word out to make sure that people know the message is it's safe and it's beneficial. Okay, like for instance, doing a podcast. <laughs> it Absolutely. sounds like it's the New York Times and it's the book and it's the it's it's multifactorial, certainly. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I just and there's a there's something that came to me as you were talking, even in the first segment, and I'm thinking about it even more now. When I was a young nurse working labor and delivery, there was something that I noticed very early in my game, and that was that these gals who worked on the farms, and I mean they worked on the farms, tended to have easier, better labors. And in fact, when they came in and I admitted them, I would ask, what do you do? And if they said, oh, my husband is a farmer, I work on the farm, I I always kind of knew that that labor was going to go better. Now, we could talk for weeks about this, and we're going to talk more on the other side of the break. But uh, short answer is, Dr. May, do we have some research that shows that, in fact, labor really might go better if the woman is in good physical shape. 
Absolutely. So if she's in better shape, the labor's going to go better. Um, and we definitely want to make sure that um, she's exercising and, and physically active. So there, there is um, an association that's been shown that shows, that, you know, similar to the example that I give is a, a marathon or a triathlon. If you know nine months from now you're going to participate in a marathon or triathlon, you know, it might take uh, 13 hours, nine hours, depending on how fast you run and swim or whatever. Um, right. Are you going to train for that event or are you not going to train for that event? So if you don't train for that event, um, you're not going to do so well um, during the event and it's going to be hard for you to recover. And so labor and delivery, it's called labor for a reason. For a reason, it's about yes. <laughs> 13 to, you know, 9 to 13 hours, right? So about that marathon or triathlon. So if you want to perform well, which would be delivering the baby in this example, then, yeah, you want to train for that event because then you're going to do better um, and baby's going to do better and you're going to recover faster as well. So it's very similar. You know, you, you have nine months to get ready for this event. You want to perform as best as possible for you and for baby. And so you definitely want to be in, in as good physical shape as you can. However, I do want to say um you, you brought up the idea of working on the farms. Yeah. Um, some women have very um, active occupations. And so yes. an active occupation is not going to be the same as physical activity. Uh, so okay. if they're doing hard labor for eight hours, five times a week, that is not going to be the same as that moderate intensity for, you know, three to five days of the week. And so it, it kind of gets to that ceiling question that people ask. So if it's a, a high-level activity for an occupation, that's actually past the ceiling and they could be doing harm for baby oh, because it's okay. too much activity. So we do want to make sure that the message is clear that um, too much physical activity, hard labor for eight hours a day, five days a week, can have adverse outcomes and, and babies will have lower birth weight um, and and they would have to be tracked more closely. So, yeah, we want to make sure that they're still staying in that moderate intensity zone. You know, 150 minutes or, or you know, a little bit more is fine, but they don't want to go too much. Okay, too much. Point, point taken. Uh, folks, don't go away. Dr. Linda May and I will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Dr. Linda May. And Dr. May is the author of Physiology of Prenatal Exercises and Fetal Development. You want to get your hands on this. It's uh, She's got some really interesting points. And I loved her point a minute ago here where she said, you've got nine months to train for doing what is arguably the hardest work that a woman is ever going to do. And I totally agree with that. Uh, She also mentioned that you can overdo it. So I noticed, Dr. May, that you talked about common markers used to evaluate distress of the fetus are meconium staining, fetal heart rate patterns, fetal oxygenation, cord entanglement, and uh, APGAR scores. All right, well, the EPGAR score, we do that once the baby is born, so we're good there. But uh, it kind of sounds to me like you're saying these are things that you would look at if, in fact, exercise had distressed the baby. Am I getting it right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So these common markers... um Plenty of researchers initially were looking at these markers to to really answer the question of, is exercise during pregnancy causing the the fetus distress? Is it harmful? 
And so the initial research really wanted to answer that question first, as, as it should, and found that the APGAR scores, there's no difference between them, um, levels of oxygen um, during the pregnancy or afterwards, the blood flow, all of these patterns were absolutely fine. So the, the, the mom and the, the placenta adapts so that baby is going to maintain its um, blood supply, oxygen, nutrients, all of those things. So everything adapts to make sure that, that the fetus gets what it needs during that pregnancy. Um, so that's regardless of whether the mom's exercising or not, but definitely during the exercise, it's, it's well adapted to make sure that baby does just fine and, and we're not causing harm to the baby. Okay. The other message that I feel like I keep getting from you loud and clear, I'm always preaching that breastfeeding is normal. And you're saying exercise is normal. It's what people should be doing. It's what people have done for millennia before we had cars and we had all of these automated things. Is is Am I kind of reading you right here? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we should be active and we found out... Um, Unfortunately, with the increase in obesity, what happens when we're physically inactive? So we really, it should be a normal, natural thing that we do, um, should be the physical activity and exercise. Just like after baby's born, we want to naturally breastfeed a baby because that's why the mammary glands are there. So yes, are there? both, of, both <laughs> of these things are natural behaviors we should be doing, absolutely. And that brings me to, I have got piles and piles and piles of studies that I started collecting in the 70s about upright postures and walking during labor. And I noticed you mentioned that in your book, too. You said that walking in labor is associated with favorable fetal oxygenation and heart rate. Uh, Any more that you can expound on that? And by the way, if you've done it yourself, would you agree that it feels more comfortable? Absolutely. Absolutely. It does feel more comfortable to, to keep moving and keep walking. Um, that upright posture is, is definitely a comfortable one. Um, other positions may be comfortable as well. I know some people be, prefer kind of the, the squat position that opens yes. up their pelvis. Yes, but yes, all of these active type of positions that you would think about think about whether it's that squat position to open up the pelvis or um, on all fours to rotate baby in the right position. All of these are more comfortable positions for the mom that are going to make it um, easier. I say that quote unquote, um, make it more comfortable for her to manage that pain during labor. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. I hear you talking and I realize this information is not new. We've had this information right. that for decades that I'm aware of. And yet, right. very often women are uh, laboring on their back in a hospital, tethered to their fetal monitor and their epidural and all of that. And I, it just seems to me like We've got this information, but it needs to be disseminated and it needs to be embraced because uh, if you look at ancient art, and I've looked at a lot of ancient art, you will see women who are laboring in exactly the positions that you were just mentioning. You do, you really didn't see them uh, on their backs with their uh, feet and stirrups until we got forceps. And uh, so... We just really need to go back to what I would say is basics. Okay, so all of this that you've told us about fetal weight, we know that you can weigh the baby. You put him on the scales, he does or does not weigh this or that. But 
are there not confounding variables here, such as uh, diet? It's not just exercise. So how does that work? And, and do we have some clear research that shows that when these babies are born at a better weight, weight, do they sustain that better weight if mothers did exercise? Or don't we know that yet? Okay, so the first, absolutely, the first question relating to the confounding variables. Yes, we know that exercise is associated with good outcomes and normalizing that body weight, especially um, not only do they have a normal weight, but decreased body fat. And, and again, that's an excellent start so we can prevent childhood obesity. But a confounding variable would be the mom's diet. So definitely, um, not only do we want to make sure that she's exercising during pregnancy, but we want to make sure that she's eating twice as healthy rather than twice as much. And that's really important for for pregnant women and those working with pregnant women to hear that it's twice as healthy. Um, Lots of uh, colors in in their food that they choose and lots of healthy food, Um, not twice as much. And she's not exercising to justify eating a chocolate cake. (laughs) Okay, Uh, she might burn 200 calories in exercise, but that chocolate cake might be 600 to 1,000. So we're not telling them to do that, right? So good, healthy choices um, is really important. And, and that can definitely affect those outcomes as well. So we want to make sure that she's eating healthy. Um, and then are these changes sustained? Um, we're just starting to look at that. Um, we, as well as other researchers, are starting to look at that idea of do we um, see these changes and do they track and are they continuing to have lower weights? And so, yes, so far the evidence that we have, um, Jim Clapp did some of this, we're doing some of this work as well as others are finding that as we track these babies, um, as they grow older developmentally, they're still maintaining a lower body weight. So that's that's excellent news. Wow. That is pretty fascinating. I, I want to move to breastfeeding because we know that women who are breastfeeding are postpartum. Um, we also know that sometimes, well, actually, here's the starting place. It, I noticed that in your work, as well as others, have noted that women say, well, they don't have time. They don't have time for exercise. And in fact, one of the researchers found, I was not surprised to read this at all, that it's not really whether or not they have time. It's whether or not they're good time managers. So I'm thinking, for instance, of the mother who is postpartum, she is breastfeeding, Uh, she probably should get out and get some exercise for herself, put that baby in the stroller, and uh, take that walk. As As you mentioned, it's probably not as good as that moderately intensive exercise, but it's certainly better than nothing. So um, I guess my question is, how do you deal with it when moms say, look, I got my hands full here. I really don't have time to do it. Linda, I would tell you that right today. I would say to you, I've got so much going on today. I do not have the faintest idea how I'm going to get to the why. So so what would you tell me about that or somebody else? Yeah, absolutely. So time is the one commodity we never have enough of. Absolutely. Um, and it, it gets harder at once you start having kids. Absolutely. So the thing that I try to counsel women on and work with women on is squeezing it in whenever you can. And a lot of times that's going to involve double dipping, if you will. So, yes, you you need to... Um, give baby a nap, uh, put the baby in a stroller, like you said, and so you're walking, but you're pushing against resistance, a 10-pound oh, baby true. with a 10-pound stroller, or whatever the case yep. might be. And so, yep. yeah, 
that's oh. helping you or use baby in your workout. So, you know, hold baby and bounce baby in, in one of the uh, baby carriers uh, against your body, and that can, you know, be part of your activity while you're doing the um, low-impact aerobics or high-impact aerobics or whatever. So, you know, utilize baby in that activity so that you can um, be interacting with your baby and you can be doing some of your physical activity as well. Um, maybe you can do it while you're, while baby's taking a nap. Sometimes you should be napping, though, <laughs> as well. Yes. So, yes. yeah, it's really, you know, trying to find those times, you know, a, a squeezing in time here and there so that you can double dip. And, and for me and, and some of the gals that we work with, it seems like uh, some of that double dipping time is easiest. So, you know, that walk with the stroller or that, um, you know, impact while you're, you're, you might be cleaning the house and holding baby and, you know, d- doing some high knee lifts and, and getting your workout in simultaneously at that time. So, you know, trying to be a little bit creative to, to squeeze it in here and there, I think helps. Have you heard myths about breastfeeding and exercise that uh, women have, have told you? Have you been exposed to any of that? And if so, could you share that with us? Sure. So some women are concerned about their exercise and breastfeeding and whether it's going to change the composition of it somehow. Um, but the research shows um, that the, the taste, I, I don't want to know how they did this research. <laughs> Who was tasting the breast milk? So, but the taste of about, it, it changed uh, slightly. You're probably talking about right. the, the, the love lady research, I'm sure. But go ahead. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So the taste of it did change slightly, but the babies were fine consuming it, and the composition and the nutrients that baby needed, that part didn't change. Um, so whether they, they breastfed baby like right after their workout or right before their workout, there was no difference in baby's outcomes, and so it's fine. Um, a lot of women prefer to do it right before their workout because they will feel more comfortable as they're right. working out, um, but then right. they don't have to worry about the the flavor tasting a little bit for changing um, for baby after they do their workout. But it's absolutely fine, and babies are absolutely fine with it either way. So they can rest assured that you know breastfeeding is and exercise is absolutely fine. Yeah, and I would second that in the sense that even if the taste is a little funky. Uh, what they found was that it was certainly safe for the baby, okay? Absolutely. Uh, so nobody's got to worry about that. And I think it goes back to what Dr. May has been saying to us for several minutes here, which is this is normal. Exercise is normal. It's what people have done for millennia. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I will be right back with Dr. Linda May right after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. 
In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today talking with author Linda May. And Dr. May was talking to us a few minutes ago about not having enough time to exercise. And of course, that's always, you know, can you see me raising my hand from here? But she listed several other things in her book, too. She talked about tiredness, physical discomfort, other children, that is, taking care of the other children, not knowing what to do. I found that pretty fascinating. And also, she called out the uh, a little bit different piece here, which was mothers who are overweight or obese have some physical and psychological barriers, work and environmental factors. So, uh, Dr. May, you can talk about any or all of these, but the one that I'm especially interested in is, uh, what do you tell moms when they say, what would you tell me when I say, you know, look, I, I, I would do exercise, but I don't really know what to do. What would you tell 
the uh, pregnant mom or me or anybody? Sure. So a lot of women don't know where to start or what to do. And so first thing, you need to think about um, what do they like to do and whether that's okay for them to do during pregnancy. And I guess the first thing is a lot of women uh, don't realize that aerobic activity is perfectly safe, and we know a lot about aerobic, different types of aerobic activity during pregnancy and that they're fine. But also resistance activity is fine as well, and that's usually what the big question mark is. So if they were doing resistance exercise previously, for sure they can keep doing it, maybe some modifications. Um, but if they didn't do it previously, they can they can do that as well. And so that can be some weight machines or strength bands and, and those types of exercises. So most exercises are going to be fine. There are some that we definitely need to avoid. So contact sports, anything that oh, might have a, right. the potential for falling, those types of activities we want to avoid during pregnancy. Um, for obvious reasons, we want to keep mom and baby safe. But otherwise, uh, most activities are going to be absolutely fine. And so she really needs to... Um, Possibly talk to a healthcare prof- uh, health uh, exercise professional in her area so that they can outline, you know, this is what you should be doing three to five times a week. You know, aim for that 150 minutes. So, you know, do a, a five-minute warm-up and then do some aerobic activity for 30 minutes. Do some weight activity for 20 minutes. Do a cool down and then do some stretching activities and, and include in the, the cool down some of those core strengthening exercises as well. Oh, yes. Um, oh, and yes. that pretty much balances everything out. If she touches on all of those three to five times a week um, and, and avoids the activities that, that she should not be doing in pregnancy. So that's a, a general brief overview of what uh, every pregnant gal should be doing. Yeah, I might add that uh, when you are doing exercise, it doesn't mean that you are doing only exercise. I find that sometimes I can motivate myself a little bit better if I could say, oh, well, while I'm doing that, I could listen to my favorite podcast or I could, you know, uh, do something else if uh, in, at our why we can actually watch TV and YouTube and all sorts of stuff. So sometimes that makes me feel like I'm doing something I enjoy. Do- I, I mean, I just do not enjoy doing exercise. I just simply don't. Right. But if I can, if I can kind of pair it with something, um, then that makes it feel a little better. And if I'm outside, I'm better. Uh, I really look forward to that. But you're right. You know, it seems to me like it's um, that motivation piece. So what do you do with these overweight or obese moms who just they probably have a uh, poor body image and probably feel like they're defeated before they start. Uh, any tips there? Sure. Yeah. So, um, a couple different things that, that we like to think about for overweight and obese moms, because it goes back to, yes, we're aiming for those recommendations, but every minute counts. And so even if we don't make those recommendations or, or they're, you know, either training with us or they're doing it on their own, that's what they're aiming for, but every minute counts. So if they only get up to 100 minutes each week, that's fine because that's way better than zero. Right. And then the other important thing is um, not only for them to be encouraged by, by every minute counts, but to do something fine, something that they like and that they enjoy. And if it's, you know, doing um, some type of, of low impact or high impact aerobics or, or, you know, moving around or walking in their living room while they're watching, you know, a 
you know, Netflix, then that's what you need to do. Or if it's walking outside bird watching, or if it's, uh, you know, running around with your other kids, you know, something that's going to keep you active and keep that heart rate up for a little bit is is what you want to do. And and aim for that 150 minutes, but, you know, don't feel defeated if you haven't met that 150 minutes because something is going to be better than nothing, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not sure that message always gets translated, but I'm a big believer in when it looks too big, people just walk away and say, oh, no, thanks. No, I just can't do that. So how do we find, I know that you are in the Carolinas, but uh, how do we find people like you? How do we find people who can help us to figure this out, motivate us, give us good information, uh, where we find more Linda Mays of the world? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that is a fabulous question. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the exercise physiology world, so again, ACSM and CSEP are, are two of the big ones for America and Canada, okay. respectively. Uh, okay. We're having that conversation now. So how do we have some kind of listserv or database so that people can reach out to exercise professionals in their area? So unfortunately, I don't have a really good answer for that excellent question at this point um, because they may search for um, gyms online or exercise trainers online, but I don't know if everybody has um, training and background and information to train pregnant women. So uh, they can reach out to them and see, but similar to what we talked about with the OB providers, not everybody has had that training to to say, you know what, this is what you can do in pregnancy and this is what you should be doing. Some trainers are like, you know what, I I don't know how to train you, so you'll have to, you know, come back to me when you're not pregnant, unfortunately. Yes. So that's that's what I was just going to say is some people just don't want to go near a pregnant or breastfeeding woman with a 10-foot pole because they're so afraid that there's going to be some liability. Uh, So we only have a minute or so left, but uh, could you tell us why is it critical for every pregnant woman to, she's got a million books she needs to read. Tell us why she should be reading your book. Oh, well, um, I guess there's other resources out there, but if uh, if she wants to read mine, I, I guess it would give her current information on um, not only is exercise during pregnancy safe, but importantly, it's beneficial. It's, we're showing that it's beneficial for um, baby's outcome. So we're trying to demonstrate that baby's going to have um, improved body composition and neuromotor outcomes and all of these things that we want for healthy babies to, to be able to move when they're getting older and to um, be heart healthy and, and definitely have decreased risk of um, heart disease and childhood obesity and those types of things. So hopefully a little bit of that gets through um, in the message that we're, we're wanting women to, to be healthy, but we're definitely wanting the next generation to be as healthy as possible as well. Oh, absolutely. And from what I could see, the studies that you quoted were all very high-level studies, very talk about evidence-based practice. This is it. So whether you are a mother or whether you are a father or whether you are a healthcare professional or just want to be, you definitely need to take a look at uh, <clears throat> this book, which is Physiology of Prenatal Exercise and Field Development as authored by my guest today, Dr. Linda May. Dr. May, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Oh, I'm so glad. And for the rest of you, uh, just remember, 
You can find me at mariebiancuzo.com. That's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. I endeavor to write some show notes uh, for this particular show. So there's always more Marie. Just come visit me at mariebiancuzo.com. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 